How many of us witnessed in some form or fashion yesterday's solar eclipse? Let me see a show of hands if you saw it. And I'm not talking about you watched it online later, but you saw it in the moment. Okay, now we're getting down to the honest people. I was absolutely fascinated by this eclipse yesterday. I was fascinated by it for three reasons. I think we have a picture of the eclipse. We have a picture? I thought we had a picture. Do we have a picture? We are on a roll this morning, y'all. Well, yesterday, look, there it is. I love it. I love it. You know, we just want to be authentic. Anyway, the eclipse yesterday was really fascinating to me for three reasons. Number one, I don't know if you know this, but they called it the ring of fire eclipse. So they had me right there at Johnny Cash. I was in. Second of all, my next door neighbor is a great guy. He's a fascinating guy, and he is what I would call an amateur astronomer. He has some incredible telescopes and tools that help him look at the stars. And yesterday, in the middle of the day, he set that stuff up out in front of his house and invited the whole neighborhood over to come look at the eclipse. And so we were sitting there looking at it. It was fascinating. As a matter of fact, he took me and showed me something that was happening in my yard that I didn't even know was going on during the eclipse. I took a picture of it. And no, I'm not available for hire professionally. But this is the sidewalk in front of our house. I got my shoe in it for scale. And you can kind of see, now look, those are the leaves of an oak tree with the crescent where the moon was obscuring the light of the sun. How cool is that? If you think that's cool, raise your hand. You're right. That was one of the cool, and I was just like, mind blown. I had no idea that that was going to be going on yesterday. It was fascinating. Now, yesterday was called an annular solar eclipse, and you probably already know this, but what happened was the path of the moon took it between the sun and us, and for a brief period of time, it, it kind of blocked, it kind of obscured the sun's light that reaches the earth. And that led to the third reason I was so fascinated by yesterday's solar eclipse. It is the perfect picture for a foundational reality of life. And the foundational reality of life is this. Sin is real. So is grace. Sin is in fact real, and never forget, so is grace. You have to have both of those at the same time in order to start to make sense, in order to be able to process this world that you and I get to live in. I think we would all agree, you know, the headlines coming out of Israel and Gaza over the last week I think, illustrate in absolutely undeniable fashion the fact that sin is real, that in a very real sense, parts of this world, parts of our lives even, are broken. They are messy. They are corrupted by the corrosive power of sin. I don't think anybody could intelligently argue whether or not sin is a reality, but I don't think we're overstating the case to say that the causes and the effects of sin 
are absolutely catastrophic. Now, if you're new today, I want you to know you're, you're walking in today as we wrap up a teaching series that we've been in for the last nine weeks. I mean, we started this series back when Moses was a baby. And what we've been after, what we've been trying to do is to create or to build a framework that allows us to process, that allows us to make sense of what is a very messy, very broken world in places. And it is absolutely impossible to do that. It's impossible to make sense of this world, to make sense of the senseless without this, rea this foundational reality that sin is real, so is grace. We, we've looked at the first two foundational realities. Number one, that God is. That, that's, that's where we start. That's how we continue. That's what keeps everything held together, the reality, the fact of God's existence. The second foundational reality that we looked at last week is the fact that God made us in his image. And we looked at how that plays out and the implications of that that are absolutely staggering, that every single person who has ever walked the face of the earth, except for Jesus, was created by God to convey the image of God in this world. I want you to turn to your neighbor and with a smile on your face, tell them, that means you. We were all created to convey the image of God. And all of us have had that image distorted. We've had that image obscured by sin. Sin's real in your life. Sin's real in my life. Sin is real in this world. Sin, when it entered the story, Genesis chapter 3 tells us what happened and how that happened. When that happened, the entire created order was corrupted by sin. In particular, the human heart. Even though we were created in the image of God, even though he created us because he loves us, because he wanted relationship with us and relationship and community for us, sin messes that up. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 is one of those verses that every follower of Christ should have in their toolbox. This is one of those verses that needs to be memorized, but not just memorized like a piece of information. We need to internalize it. We need to spiritually metabolize Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Look at what the Bible says. For everyone, say everyone. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So Romans 3 tells us sin is real, so is grace. But how devastating is sin? I don't think you can even begin to process that Hamas or Hitler, child abuse or human trafficking or what I'm capable of in my own heart and mind, what you're capable of in your own heart and mind without 
without the arresting feature of grace, those results are absolutely devastating. It's devastating when you think about the fact that what God intended, what he created, is marred, is distorted by sin. Now, people will ask this question. Well, if God created everything, did God create sin? That's a great question. The short answer is no. He did not. Let me expand just a little bit briefly. You see, God created us for a relationship, a love relationship, which by definition requires choice. You have to choose to love somebody. If you are commanded, love them, that's not going to go well. I, I really, how many of you are husbands in the house? Let me see a show of hands. Let's say that your wives walked in this evening and said, hey, by the way, you just need to love me. And I don't mean in the fun way. I mean just love me. <laughs> There's not a man in the world who would go, okay, dear, let's. And it's not just men. It's women, it's children, it's everybody. We all, we all have this ability to choose to love God. And when we choose not to, when we choose our own way, that sets the stage. That is the stage for sin. Now, I think we have kind of a, a general cultural misunderstanding of what sin is. We, we think, well, I mean, yeah, I sin, you sin, we all sin, E-I-E-I-O, let's just move on. But look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6. This is another internalized verse that needs to be a part of our toolbox. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, grace, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, there's this, this picture of sin, which is real, but right there is grace. Right there is the amazing grace of God. But the wages of sin is death. The wages, the, the payoff, the ROI of sin is death. That, I, I, you don't have to play along on this one, but how many of us, that just kind of sounds a little harsh. Anybody kind of feel like that sounds a little harsh? I, I think it sounds a little harsh, but let's play this out. I, I think it makes sense if you understand what sin really is. The word sin itself, when it's used in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word sin just simply means missing the target, missing the goal. What you're aiming at, you have missed. It's actually an archery term. Do we have any bow hunters in the house? Most of them are hunting today. Okay, if you're a bow hunter, you know where you need to put that arrow in order to harvest meat for your family for the winter, right? Well, if you don't, or if you're an archer in the Olympics, ping, and you are shooting at a target and you miss it, that is the picture of sin, which I think begs the question, what's the target? What is the target that we've missed when we sin? The target is holiness. That's the target. You're talking about a relationship with a holy, set-apart, morally flawless God. 
which we are definitely not, any of those things. And so when we miss that target, that is what sin is. Prior to Genesis chapter 3, when God created humanity with free will, for relationship with himself, everything was absolutely perfect. Everything. Adam and Eve got along. They never argued. They were unashamed. And then sin entered the picture. And as soon as that happened, humanity became corrupted by this spiritual genetic malformation that has been passed down to every person who has ever walked the face of the earth. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Nobody's holy. Everybody has sinned. Now, with a smile on your face and love in your heart, turn to your neighbor and say, you're everybody. That's everybody. Everybody. No one is immune. No one is unaffected. No one is uninfected by sin. But remember we said that grace, biblically, in God's economy, grace has always been there. Even when Adam and Eve revolted against God and chose not to obey, not to love, not to trust God, and they became ashamed of their nakedness, the Bible says, it was God who gave them covering for their bodies. God gave them covering for their shame. Isn't that amazing? Even, even in their rebellion, God was beginning with grace. God was saying, I, I will cover over your shame. I will cover over what you don't want anybody to know about. Now, there are consequences for sin, but I will cover it over. That's the amazing grace of God. I want to show you just... When you think of sin, think of these things, just, just a list of how sin manifests, how it shows up and crops up in the world. Sin, number one, is deception. Sin is deception, a lie. Jesus himself said that Satan is the father of lies. So when I sin, the first thing I need to know is I am buying a lie somewhere, maybe Maybe like Eve, I'm buying the lie that God is holding out on me because I, I choose to disobey a commandment or to not do something I'm commanded to do because I don't feel like it or I think there's a better way. I'm buying a lie. Number two, sin is brokenness. Sin is brokenness. Adam and Eve in their sin hid from God. They hid from one another. Community was broken. Relationship was shattered. Sin is distortion. Sin distorts the image of God that we were created to convey. Just like the moon coming between the sun and us. Sin is chaos. Sin always breeds chaos, disorder, disarray, uncertainty, anxiety, fear, chaos. And then ultimately, as we've seen, sin leads to death. Now, as I said, that may sound a little harsh, but follow me. If God is the creator and sustainer and fulfiller of life, it does follow that anything that I do, anything that you do that takes me away from him, anything that 
stiff arms. The God who created me, the God who loves me, the God who fulfills and sustains me. When I do that, I am stiff-arming life. And if I do that long enough, ultimately, it will corrupt, it will decay, it will decompose life. It ultimately ends in death. That's why when Jesus went to the cross and became our sin, he died, alienated, separated from God the Father. But, but grace, he rose from the dead, defeating death and subduing sin. So again, even in the cross, this picture of sin and shame, there is grace, there is forgiveness, there is life. So when I choose sin, when, when you choose sin, you are choosing to walk away from the life you were created for, that I was created for. Now, let's look at that list again. Brokenness, distortion, deception, brokenness, distortion, chaos, death. Let's take a look at grace. Let, let's, just, let's just do a little compare and contrast with grace. Where sin brings deception, grace brings truth. Grace requires truth. When I, when I think about truth, I think about my wife, Julie. I know Julie loves me unconditionally, but only for the last 32 years. But I also know that Julie will tell me the truth. How many husbands know that your wives will tell you the truth? Sometimes to a fault. But that's part of grace, isn't it? Grace has to tell the truth. Where sin brings brokenness, grace brings integrity. Integrity. And, and the word integrity means wholeness, completeness. Yes, it means telling the truth and being honest, but it's also, it's also structural and relational integrity. You know, when a, when a bridge collapses or a building collapses, it's because the integrity of the construction has been compromised. Grace brings integrity to the brokenness of sin. Where sin brings distortion, grace brings clarity. Grace brings clarity. When you start to understand the realities of life, when you start to understand biblical truth, you begin to be able to process, to make sense of the senseless. Where sin brings chaos, grace brings order. Order, peace. You, you know God always was, always is, and always will be. There's, a, there's an order to that. God's creative order is an amazing, amazing thing to behold. And then where sin brings death, of course, grace brings life. Grace brings life. And there you go. That's the series. Nine weeks. Nine weeks. I want you to think about that for just a second. Nine out of, what, 52 weeks that we get in a year? That's almost 20% of our year that we have devoted, that we have committed, that we have invested to this study, to this time together. Because we need to be able to frame. We need to be able to understand, to process. We need to teach our children our students, 
how to frame and process the world, this, this reality. And, and we need to build a framework that is, first of all, practically endurable, that, that it will last even after we're gone. We, we need a framework that is spiritually accurate, that it, that it actually reflects what's really going on, not what we wish were going on or what we think could maybe go on, but what is actually happening and what actually will happen. So it's practically enduring. It's spiritually accurate, and it is intellectually coherent. That means that, that from a philosophical and intellectual point of view, it holds together over time. And so what we have done, let me tell you what has just happened in the last nine weeks. Together, using the Word of God, we have built a framework. We have built a world view, a way of processing this world. And so in review, just, just before we go, I want to I show you seven pillars of reality that make it possible to process whatever happens in this world. Seven pillars of a reality-based worldview. We're going to go through these very quickly, put them on the screen. You can take a picture at the end of it if you want to. But this is what we've been all about. I want, again, think about this. 20% of our year, 20%, in the immortal words of the theologian Ron Burgundy, is kind of a big deal. Seven pillars. Number one, the pillar of truth. Truth. You have to believe that there is, in fact, an ultimate reality, an ultimate objective truth. God has given us scripture for us to know and to live for him. And we, we've talked about this throughout this series, but we just, in summation, we just say, it has to start with the belief, with the reality that there is, in fact, an objective truth in this world, factually, morally, spiritually. Number two is theology. For your worldview, your perspective to work, you have to have an accurate view of God. Theology just says God is. Again, we've talked about this, but if, if there is no God, then there really can't be any truth. There, there's no ultimate reality, but God is. Number three is our identity. Our identity. We are who God says we are. That means that God made you. We talked about this last week. God, before he knit you together in your mother's womb, God had you in mind for this world. So the second, I mean the split second of creative conception, you're already a human being. You are already a life to be protected, to be guarded, to be celebrated from the womb to the tomb, always. It's how God has wired up reality. God's given you an identity when he created you. He created us in the image of God, male and female. So if you're a man, God has given you a specific calling to bear his image as a man. If you're a woman, 
You're born a female. God has given you a calling to bear his image as a woman. That's a privilege. That's a blessing. That's a responsibility. Our identity is a big part of that. Number four, purpose. We are created on purpose with purpose. Part of being created in the image of God is that God created us for his glory and for our good. He created us for his glory and our good. Our purpose gives birth to number five, ethics. You've got to have an ethical framework to live life. Everybody does. Everybody does. Ethics. Our choices reflect our relationship to God and reality. And we are responsible for our choices. That's a biblical ethic. That's, by the way, why Marxism and socialism break down, why they are intellectually bankrupt. When you view the world through the lens of oppressor and oppressed, bully and victim, then you remove personal responsibility. You remove personal agency. That's why Marxism failed politically and economically. It's still being tried socially, but it's the same idea, just rehashed and retried in different ways. And it is practically, philosophically, and by the way, morally, completely bankrupt. That's why it doesn't work, because it takes away personal responsibility. Now, let me say this. God calls us to care for those who can't care for themselves. That's why we love partnering with Mobile Loves and Fishes and Community First. We love coming alongside. The Whitmers, let me tell you something. We are better because y'all are part of our church. We are stronger because of what you do. And thank you for doing what you do and reminding the rest of us of our calling. Thank you. So it's not... It's not this removed kind of thing. It's hands-on. But there is personal responsibility. That's part of the reason we love Mobile Loves and Fishes is because of Alan Graham. Alan Graham, to me, is the closest I have seen to a human embodiment of Jesus' call to be innocent as a dove and shrewd as a serpent. That's Alan Graham. I know that Alan one time, this is just a little aside, but it's a great one. Alan had hired a guy to work for Mobile Loads of Fishes, who at the time was homeless. He was giving him a dignified wage. And the guy stole a lawnmower from Alan, from Mobile Loads and Fishes. Money that people had given to a charity got stolen. Alan was the guy who called the sheriff on him. And Alan was there when the sheriff showed up and arrested him. He said, I love you, but you're going to jail. You don't steal from me. He goes, but when you're done, I want to be the first phone call you make. I'll come pick you up but you're going to jail. Innocent as a dove, shrewd as a serpent. They are not mutually exclusive. Those are the kind of people I want to partner with. That is an ethic. Number six, pillar of a reality-based worldview is sin. Talked about that. Sin deceives, distorts, and destroys. Sin deceives, distorts, and destroys, and ultimately sin kills. And then number seven, Grace, grace. Jesus redeems, restores, and resurrects what sin destroys and kills. 
Sin is real, so is grace. Here's how I really wanted to say this. Sin is real, sin is real. Grace is realer. Remember the eclipse? In case you forgot, let's bring the picture of the eclipse back up. Can we bring up the eclipse again, please? I want to bring that picture back up. Look at that. Now, I want you to notice something. The sun is really big. The sun is, has a diameter of 869,919 miles. You probably knew that. 869,919 miles. Let's just go ahead and call it 870,000 miles. We're 81 short. 870,000 miles across. The moon, the moon has a diameter of 2,158 miles. Now, I was a communications degree major, but I know that 2,158 is less than 870,000. It doesn't matter what the moon does. It doesn't matter where the moon goes. On its best day, the moon will never extinguish the sun. The moon will never be able to completely block out and shield and mask the light and the heat and the energy of the sun. It, it'll never get there. It, it, can, it can obscure the image of the sun. It can distort it and get in the way and minimize the energy and the light that gets to us. But look, go back to that picture, please. It's too good. I mean, the moon is basically right here to us. And it still can't block the sun. Sin can not block grace. Sin will never obscure and blot out and darken the light of God's amazing grace. John chapter 1 tells us this about Jesus. You want to talk about a worldview? Just start here. The first five verses of the book of John chapter 1. In the beginning, the Word, Jesus, already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The light shines in the darkness and can never extinguish it. This is Jesus. This is reality. This is life. If you're here today and you have never taken hold of that life, if you've never chosen to follow the author of life, the author of authority, the author of light in a dark and sometimes crazy world. We want to invite you to do that today.
it might surprise you to know that you don't have to pass a test. You don't have to, you know, have perfect attendance at church for the next six months or, or even 80% attendance. It just takes a willing heart. It just takes the choice to trust Christ, to follow Christ, to trust him more than you trust yourself, more than you trust friends, more than you trust the world, more than you trust culture. You trust true north, Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? If you want to take that step of beginning a relationship with Christ today, then you pray just right where you are, silently in your own words, something like this, just silently from your heart to God, say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. You are the, you are the cornerstone of all reality, of my reality I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back in order to claim all of your grace, your forgiveness, your truth, and I will trust you more than I trust myself. Lord, I will follow you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. Every single time that that happens in a person's life, it is holy ground, sacred. And as a church, we have the privilege of coming alongside and helping with what comes next. And so we would love to know that God did that in your life. When we dismiss in just a minute, as in the big lobby to your right from where you're sitting right now, there's an area called the hub there. And if you just committed your life to Christ, you just stepped into being a follower of Christ, we've got a, a gift that we would love to give you. Just a, we call it just a new believer's packet or, or kit. It's got a Bible and a reading plan to help you begin this journey, help you begin this relationship with God, the relationship you were created for, and the relationship that sustains all of life here and forever. Also, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a second, and know that as a family of faith with you, as a church, man, we celebrate that with you. There is nothing more important to us than that moment in your life and others like it. It's why we exist, for that moment and the moments that follow. And our family tradition around here is, you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.